Well, not, not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. I, I appreciate the effort, Andy. <laughs> Uh, Andy's Andy's playing that that beautiful track. Trying to, uh, it feels like it feels like Andy's trying a Jedi mind trick on us. He's trying to tell us it's a wonderful world. <laughs> Andy, <laughs> you gotta be positive, okay? Uh, <laughs> I just had a conversation about about Dilbert and Scott Adams calling black folk a hate group. Uh, I just got to talk about Elon Musk uh, putting a, a a tweet out supporting. Scott Adams. I just got you talking about Elon Musk <laughs> supporting eugenics uh, to all my Tesla driving friends. Oh Lord! Uh, and, and and here comes Andy at the top of our two with with what a wonderful world. Okay, Andy, if you say so, <laughs> if you say so. But I repeat, it just feels like a Jedi mind trick. Uh, that said, <laughs> I am delighted to join <laughs> to. In conversation now with Dr. Alandra Washington of the Kellogg Foundation about why black Americans donate a higher share of their wealth than white folk. Did you know that? That we, black Americans, donate a higher share of our wealth than white Americans. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the role of black women in philanthropy matters these days. Maybe they can help it help make it a more wonderful world, uh, Andy, these black women in philanthropy. See what I did there? I'm trying to weave a, a land. Okay, you got it. Um, and we'll talk about Kellogg's annual celebration of the National Day of Racial Healing and the Kellogg Foundation's own racial healing journey in these next 30 minutes with our friend and sister, Dr. Alandra Washington. Alandra, how are you? It's been too long. You doing all right? I'm doing great, Tavis, and it has been too long. Great to connect with you. It's great to hear your voice, and thank you uh, once again for your work and witness down through the years. You've been a staple at the Kellogg Foundation for quite some time, and and we've had uh, any number of opportunities to work together on a variety of projects, and it's always great uh, to be uh, in dialogue with you. Let me start with this, because as I said a moment ago, you've been been doing this for a while, and you've been doing it quite well. What say you um, in this critical moment in American history about the role of black women in philanthropy and why that matters? Uh, Well, it's definitely important for black women in philanthropy. We continue to strive for uh, all of the work that we're doing across our communities, our black communities, and women in philanthropy definitely have a role and a voice. Uh, And there's more work to be done in this space to ensure that black women are leaders in philanthropy, that we are seen as uh, the linchpin that's helping to provide the strategic work that needs to happen in our black communities. I stay encouraged and hopeful because I know that the work that we do at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, we continue to look at these issues around uh, women in philanthropy, black women in philanthropy, and the whole issue around the field and its diversity and equity. We continue to explore those issues both internally and externally. And I believe that it is my responsibility, being a black leader in philanthropy, who is a woman, to be able to crush those perspectives and biases and inequities that keep us from stepping up to the forefront in this field. Mm-hmm. What, what, do you, what do you think black women specifically and uniquely bring to philanthropy? Uh, you know, for black women, I really do think that our unique perspective matters 
that we have lived experience. We bring an intersectional lens around the work that we do. We are the bridge builder to the issues in our communities that are nuanced both by our individual and collective stories around marginalization, underrepresentation, and devaluing of black women across gender and race. And so for me, I believe black women play this unique role in philanthropy where we can lift up the complexities that are happening in our community. We can add that layer of depth and understanding in the decision-making and the strategies that are implemented in black community. And we can be unapologetic about the ways that we continue to address issues of racism and use it through a lens of philanthropy. You and I have had any number of conversations over the years, uh, and it, it, it occurs to me now, I don't think we've ever talked about this. I've talked about it. I'm sure you've talked about it. We've never talked about it together. So let's do it Let's do it right now. And that is this notion of charity and justice. You are in philanthropy, um, you know, and that's it, it's, it's, it's charitable work, and we need it in this country, and I can't imagine – where many of the projects that I've worked on or projects I've supported or just things I see every day, can't imagine these things not being possible um, uh, or being possible, rather, were it not for charity, were it not for philanthropy. But charity and justice are not the same things. And sometimes I think people get those two things twisted. How frustrating is it for you to be in the charity field, in the philanthropy field, but see every day the injustice that our people are still subjected to? Does that make sense? It does make sense, and it is frustrating. And what we know about philanthropy and the way that we practice philanthropy at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation is through a racial equity and racial healing lens. And so for us, it is the integration of the work that we do as a charitable organization and using the lens of racial equity and racial justice to get this work done. And so it means that we are looking at the inequities that exist in our community, that we are investing dollars in communities to dismantle inequitable systems, and that charity can be used as a way to get to social justice and to get to racial healing and racial uh, equity in our country. Uh, Using that lens, I think, is vitally important when we think about the change that we want to make in our in our country and all of the things that we need to address across mm-hmm. many sectors be it housing be it transportation be it health i heard you talking to brandon johnson earlier around the health disparities that exist it is important that from a philanthropic lens that we can use our dollars to be able to address these issues when we come forward dr alandra washington i want to come uh, to that issue uh, more expressly uh, more specifically this notion of how philanthropy how charity can be used to advance notions of social justice. I want to come to that. There's a lot to interrogate there and a great deal more to talk about with our friend Dr. Alandra Washington of the Kellogg Foundation, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. This world has its limits, but in the all-new, all-electric Nissan Aria... You've got a world of possibilities. You can leave it all behind in serene interiors. Or you can go after it with available e-force all-wheel drive. Go your way in the all-new, all-electric Nissan Aria. 
Nissan Aria with eForce not yet available for purchase. Expected availability early 2023. Subject to change. eForce all-wheel drive is an optional feature. eForce cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. It does indeed with Dr. Alandra Washington, who is the Vice President for Trans- Transformation and Organizational Effectiveness at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, talking about all things philanthropy uh, in this uh, first half hour of this hour, specifically as it relates to communities of color. Uh, We'll get to in a moment what I teed up uh, uh, a while ago, uh, this notion that black Americans donate a higher share of their wealth than white Americans. We'll try to understand that and unpack uh, that and uh, why that reality exists. But for the moment, though, I want to come back to this issue that uh, Dr. Washington was raising, uh, discussing, I should say, a moment ago, and that is how, in fact, we can use charity, how in this country we can use philanthropy to impact the social justice concerns that matter most to us. Tell me more about that link, Dr. Washington. Yeah, you know, we are using it in philanthropy to be a lot more uh, astute with the work that we're doing in this space of racial equity and um, for us at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, uh, racial healing. We've supported a lot of work across the country related to this, our truth, racial healing, and transformation work that we're doing across 14 cities uh, in the country is looking at ways that we are starting to build relationships and bridge divides in community so that individuals can come together to work toward a more equitable future. In that work, you'll see uh, work that's happening in, um, in, in many cities that people are coming together and starting to discuss, unpack, and have the candid conversations about racism in their communities, the impact of racism, and the inequities that exist, and how they can dismantle those inequities. I've said many times on this program, uh, Dr. Washington, um, that uh, racism, to my mind, may very well be, may be the most intractable issue in this country. And here here you come with your work at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, which is just like you, trying to tackle the difficult uh, subjects. You you never run away from these things, and I've known you for years, uh, and you you step up to these challenges um, to try to address the things that are, frankly, taking our country in the wrong direction. So, again, if I'm right that racism is is perhaps the most intractable issue in this country, then what you've taken on in your work there um, is going to have you, for for some time now, traveling up, as we say, the rough side of the mountain. So I'm, I'm curious about two things. Number one, why you would even attempt uh, to attack a problem that is so complex uh, with uh, philanthropic dollars, number one. And number two, I'm curious as to whether or not you're seeing signs of progress. Uh, th- th- the word intractable itself means that, you know, obviously it's hard to make progress on. So are you seeing signs of progress? I'm thinking now what I said at the top of the hour. When we're talking about Dilbert and Scott Adams and the racist comments he made, now there are hundreds of papers literally today in this country, hundreds announcing they will never run that Dilbert script again. You got folk like Elon Musk who just bought Twitter, putting out tweets supporting Scott Adams. I could give you all kind of evidence to the contrary that we're not making progress on race in this country, but you're taking it head on uh, at the Kellogg Foundation. Tell me why you're doing that and whether or not you're seeing any signs of progress. 
Thank you, Tavis. I appreciate that. You know, for us at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, it was in 2007 that our Board of Trustees made a commitment to becoming an anti-racist organization and looking at ways that we can promote racial equity and racial healing as part of our core strategy and the work that we do both domestically and internationally. And so we took this issue on as a foundation because we understood that it is the unfinished business of America, and philanthropy definitely has a role in helping to tackle these inequities by using our philanthropic dollars, by partnering with communities, and understanding that the solutions to the problems actually exist in communities and ways that we can use our knowledge, our skill, our expertise, and resources to partner with communities. You ask around impact, and is impact being made? And I think it's on how you define impact, Mm -hmm. and I can definitely say that the work that we're doing in different communities across the country, we are seeing impact. So, for example, I talked about the work that we're doing with our Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation work. Uh, We have individuals that are coming together in Buffalo, New York, uh, to look at ways to build a reentry program that's centered around the issues of race and racial equity and how that reentry program for incarcerated individuals takes that into account in all of the services that they provide uh, in that particular space. I could also uh, point to the work that's happening in Selma, where we actually have civil rights leaders along with segregationists now coming together at the table to have candid conversations around the issue of race and racism and how it is impacting that community on so many different levels and ways that they can come together to provide solutions in that particular space. So I definitely see impact coming. You know, that impact could be impact with a small eye or impact with a big eye, but people are realizing that it is time for us to work together in this country to overcome this issue. You mentioned DE&I earlier, uh, Dr. Washington, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I want to come right to that because uh, I'm wondering, speaking of impact, whether or not you are seeing signs that corporate America gets it on the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've been around long enough, as have you, to know that people will grab a hold of a nice phrase, a uh, a nice moniker, and they will run it into the grounds. Everybody now knows D, E, and I. We don't even call them by the names anymore, just D, E, and I. People know what you're talking about. So corporate America, Americans writ large, frankly, are just good about um, grabbing slogans. But as you well know, and I say all the time, slogans are not solutions. Monikers are not solutions. So everybody's talking about D, E, and I. It kind of reminds me of that song we used to sing in my church. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there, right? So everybody's talking about D, E, and I. But are they really going there? Is corporate America taking D, E, and I seriously? What are you seeing in your philanthropic work? Yeah, um, we believe that corporate America is taking it seriously and understanding that there is more work to be done. In 2020, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, uh, right before the pandemic, we launched our Expanding Equity Program. And this really is a program that focuses on ways that corporate leaders from companies can do more in this space of DEI. And it's all through the lens of which we've talked about uh, related to racial equity and racial healing. And so we've been working uh, with 
uh, about 85 companies, about 475 leaders on ways that they can improve the well-being of more, I think, more of, of uh, up in about 100 million employees across the U.S., where they are really focusing on ways that they can start to embed DEI in their policies, in their programs, in their structures. And so we're partnering with these companies, uh, and, and many of these companies are global industries, right, uh, in consumer goods, retail, private equity, transportation, logistics. But they are starting to look at ways that they can attract professionals of color into their companies to increase that representation, where they are starting to build companies of belonging. And regardless of the racial and ethnic groups that are identified, they can see themselves in those companies and excelling in those companies. So a lot is being done in that space, definitely more, and we are excited that we can play a role in helping companies think through these issues. I want to turn to something you raised earlier in this conversation, Dr. Washington. Uh, I heard it uh, loud and clear. I didn't miss it. And I want to come back now and um, interrogate it for a second. Um, I appreciate the transparency um, with which you spoke earlier when you suggested to us that even inside of the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, um, your leadership team had to make a commitment some years ago to be an anti-racist institution. Everybody's been talking about that uh, on this side of the murder of George Floyd. But take me inside the Kellogg Foundation. What's it like uh, when an organization as uh, as renowned as the W.K. Kellogg Foundation decides internally that they're going to commit themselves to being an anti-racist institution? When they make that commitment, what actually happens inside? Yeah, I appreciate that question because it really is a unique thing, I think, that needs to happen inside every organization. First, for us, we had to create what we call an authorizing environment so that everyone in the organization can come to the table talking about the experiences both internally and externally as it relates to racism and our pursuit for racial equity. The other thing that is very important to us, and I continue to talk about our journey around racial healing. At the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, we see racial healing as being core to the work that we do. And so in the foundation, we have what are called healing circles. And folks are coming to the table talking about the trauma that exists talking about the impact of racism on them, both personally and professionally, and ways to then come together as a foundation to come up with solutions as it relates to what we know that we might have even been perpetuating as an institution uh, related to these experiences. And so how do we start to think about representation within the foundation? How do we start to think about the policies and structures that we need to change that that centers the voice of people of color in our organization and for those externally that we work with. And so those healing circles and that healing dynamic is very important. But then we measure 
everything that we talk about in this space because we know if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. Mm. And so how do we start to think about and measure those things that are important to us both internally and externally? So I'm proud to say, you know, we have grown in the diversity of our board. We have grown in the diversity of our leadership team and the organization where over 40% of people of color are being represented, uh, not only on our leadership team, but across the organization. But then it's how do you build the structures that retain or, uh, people of color and that help to see them get into uh, those higher levels of leadership within the organization. And we continue to double down on those particular aspects as well. Mm, thank you for that. Um, let me close with, close with this. Um, and who better to, to ask this of than someone like Dr. Alandra Washington, who is the Vice President for Transformation and organizational effectiveness at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. So she's one of the leaders, one of these black women. Uh, and increasingly, there are more of them. But she's been there for a while now. One of these black women who are leaders in the philanthropy, uh, philanthropy spaces in this nation. Um, so this is the appropriate person to be asking this of. So what do you make of the fact uh, in the uh, three minutes I have left here that black Americans uh, donate a higher share of their wealth than white folk. I asked that against the backdrop that we all know that, you know, black people still, I said this the other day on our program, uh, economically speaking, we are still three fifths of a person. Uh, we're not that we're not codified that way in the law anymore, but we economically speaking earn three fifths of what white Americans earn. So we're still in that regard, uh, not anywhere near equal. And yet the data suggests that black folk donate a higher share of their wealth than white folk do. What do you make of that, Dr. Washington? Well, Travis, I want to go back to what you started uh, around in the beginning of this conversation, and you talked about charity and justice. Mm -hmm. And I think in the black community is where you find the intersection and integration of our charity and justice. And in the black community, you will know and find that for the most part, our philanthropy, our giving has been a way to enact change mm. on behalf of what black America experiences. So when you talk about philanthropy and you talk about justice and you talk about uh, black philanthropy, it has all been connected for us for many years. And we can go back to the mutual aid societies that were set up and established to make sure that black people were able to uh, step into America and have the supports and help that they need uh, post-Reconstruction to be able to move forward and to progress. Our philanthropy has always been connected to the change that we want to see and the promise that America has in that everyone is created equal and we have equal opportunity and access. And for us, our philanthropy is connected to that. And so when you talk about black folks giving more of our discretionary income to the work of uh, charity or to the work that's happening out there in communities, we talk about this work of catalyzing community giving, another initiative that's philanthropy for us and by us. And it really is the ways that we can use our giving to impact the change that we want to see in our communities and in this country. Alandra Washington, Ph.D., serves as vice president for transformation and organizational effectiveness at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. In her role, um, she supports the foundation's efforts to promote thriving children, working families and equitable communities 
Uh, as you can tell, she is passionate about the work that she does. And take it from me, she does it awfully well. Uh, Dr. Washington, good to have you on this program. Thanks for your time, and thank you for your work and your witness. I appreciate you. Great. Thank you, Tavis. Really appreciate it. Good to have you on. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, Little Brother's seminal debut album, The Listing, is ranked among Rolling Stone's 200 greatest hip-hop albums of all time. The album just turned 20. Little Brother co-founders Fonte and Big Poo join us in a moment. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580.